the Michigan Constitution podcast, where the citizens of the Mitten State seek the pleasant peninsula between their state and federal identities through a deeper understanding of how Michigan's Constitution and its defining case law affects their everyday lives. Your host, Tony Snyder, is a licensed Michigan attorney with more than a decade of experience in private and government practice. Through this podcast, you'll better understand the unique characteristics of Michigan's supreme law and probably learn a few fun facts about federalism, too. And now, here's Tony. Welcome back to the third installment of the Michigan Constitution podcast. This time, I want to talk about Article 1, Section 2 of the Michigan Constitution. The purpose of this podcast is merely to teach you what's in the Michigan Constitution. Each podcast will review a different article's section, we'll talk about what it means, and we'll review Michigan case law, which helps us to better understand the effects of those constitutional provisions. Here's what this podcast is not. It is not legal advice. It is not legal expertise. Although I am a licensed attorney in the state of Michigan, I make no warranties as to the veracity of the statements I make within this podcast. First of all, I don't practice constitutional law, I practice administrative law. Second, the laws change on a day-to-day basis, as does case law. What might be applicable the day I make a statement about the Michigan Constitution could very well be outdated the day I post the podcast. If you think you're going to become a Michigan Constitutional Scholar because of my podcast, you're sadly mistaken. You'd do better with a Ouija board and a Magic 8-Ball. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you need Michigan legal advice, you would be well served to contact the State Bar of Michigan and ask for their Lawyer Referral Service Program for a referral to an attorney who specializes in your legal matter. Article 1, Section 2. Equal Protection, Discrimination. Quote, No person shall be denied the equal protection of the laws, nor shall any person be denied the enjoyment of his civil or political rights, or be discriminated against in the exercise thereof because of religion, race, color, or national origin. The legislature shall implement this section by appropriate legislation." This section of the 1963 Michigan Constitution was brand new to the Michigan Constitution. Remember, from the previous podcast, the Michigan Supreme Court had to rely upon Article 1, Section 1 to effectuate the equivalence of this language. But, by inserting this language in 1963, it was express and unambiguous. This provision is intended to be the counterpart to the Equal Protection Clause as found in the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution. But, unlike the 14th Amendment, this section confers more protection than what is found in the 14th Amendment. Unlike the Federal Amendment, Michigan has included express language regarding race, religion, color, and national origin. Remember, the 14th Amendment, as it relates to this conversation, merely states, and I paraphrase, no state shall deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. But again, let me reread Article 1, Section 2 of the Michigan Constitution. Quote, No person shall be denied the equal protection of the laws, nor shall any person be denied the enjoyment of his civil or political rights, or be discriminated against in the exercise thereof because of religion, race, color, or national origin. The legislature shall implement this section by appropriate legislation. Already, right from the get-go, we know that Michigan's Constitution offers a wide array of equal protection against discrimination to those based upon their politics, 
religion, race, color, and national origin. But an interesting aspect the Michigan Supreme Court has had to tackle is how Michigan's Article 1, Section 2 provision of the Constitution pairs with the United States' 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution. They first addressed it in 1967 with this case, Beauty Built Construction Corporation versus the City of Warren. The fact pattern is as follows. The City of Warren was growing at a fast clip and the need for homes to house its new residents was exploding into the city limits. As such, the then existing sewer system was ill-equipped to handle the added human waste being put into the system. Therefore, an upgraded sewer system would commence and a city resolution was passed by the municipal government stating that any home already on the sewer system would not have to pay toward a sewer tap, but any new builds after the passage of the city resolution would be required to pay a $200 fee to tap into the sewer system. The relevant provision of the resolution reads as follows, quote, Whereas it is necessary and in the best interests of the citizens of the city of Warren that all future sewer taps, which will be utilizing and consuming the treatment facilities available in our sewerage treatment plant, with the exception of structures existing of this date, be subject to a sewer tap charge thereinafter set forth. Be it further resolved that all structures presently existing in the city of Warren that have not yet been connected to the city's sewage facilities are hereby exempted and will not be subject to the above rules." Unquote. In order to provide for the necessary sewage improvements, the city adopted the aforesaid resolution requiring sewer tap fees to be charged to all new buildings constructed and connecting to the system in the future. The question then before the Michigan Supreme Court is whether the resolution created an arbitrary and discriminatory classification of persons required to pay the sewer tap fee contrary to the Equal Protection Clause in both Article 2, Section 1 of the Michigan Constitution of 1908, as well as the 14th Amendment of the Federal Constitution. The court reiterated its belief that classification of object to which a city ordinance is made applicable must be based on natural distinguishing characteristics and must bear a reasonable relation to the object of the ordinance. When an ordinance fails to include and affect equally all personnel of the same class and extends immunities and privileges to one part but denies them to others of like kind by unreasonable and arbitrary classification, then that action is contrary to the equal protection guarantees of a state and federal constitution. The court found there was no reasonable or rational foundation to support the exemption and classification created by the ordinance. It certainly was not chosen because it formed a reasonable or rational date for establishing a division of a class. The court made clear that there were already existing houses built but not on the sewer system. If all homes that were not on the sewer system, but subsequently came online, were to be charged the cap fee, the court would have had no issue with this ordinance. But the court could not understand why newly built homes were being treated differently than pre-existing homes who were there, but not hooked up to the sewer system yet. If the motivation behind the ordinance was that newly built houses are overtaxing the sewer system, 
surely the currently existing homes that have been built but yet not on the sewer system would equally contribute to the stress of the system. So why not, the court lamented, make any home, new or otherwise, who wishes to be hooked into the sewer system simply pay the $200? If you're already on the sewer system, fine, you can avoid the tax. But if you're not already on the system from the effective date of the ordinance, you would be hit with a $200 tax. Now everyone is equally adding extra stress on a system already strained by the growth of the city. The value of this case comes based upon the timeline of its ruling. This case is the last case to specifically hold that Article 2, Section 1 of the 1908 Constitution was equal to and intended to be enforced as a state-specific equal protection provision. Remember, this case came out in 1965, two years after the newer Michigan Constitution of 1963 was ratified. It was because the Warren City Resolution was passed in 1959 and wound its way through the court system all while under the 1908 Michigan Constitution, which was in effect over all lawsuits when the case was decided. But it's interesting because we had a Michigan Supreme Court who was operating under a new constitution, being required to use the previous constitution to make its ruling. Come forward two years into 1967, and the Michigan Supreme Court rules in Fox versus the Michigan Employment Security Commission, another case dealing with how the new Article 1, Section 2 provisions work alongside the 14th Amendment. Mr. Fox suffered a work-related injury to his right knee in June 1955. Don't worry, I'll tie this date to the newer Constitution in 1963 momentarily. He was awarded $34 per week in workers' compensation benefits. I know $34 per week doesn't sound like much, but when adjusted for inflation, it comes out to $322 per week or essentially $1,288 per month in today's money. Because of his disability, Mr. Fox subsequently developed new skills and found employment with other employers at wages higher than what he was receiving at the time of his injury. When he was unemployed, Mr. Fox would collect his $34 per week in workers' compensation benefits. From best I can tell, Mr. Fox would work for a certain amount of time and not collect workers' compensation, but when his temporary employment would come to an end, he would go back on workers' compensation. The court's opinion wasn't clear, nor is it really relevant to this matter, just more of an FYI to you, the listener. In May 1964, so now we're operating under the recently adopted 1963 Michigan Constitution, Mr. Fox was laid off from work by his employer and was awarded $37 per week in unemployment benefits. Unemployment, not workers' compensation. However, pursuant to the Employment Security Act, any unemployment one was to receive, it could be offset by however much the person was receiving in workers' compensation. As such, Mr. Fox was receiving his $34 in workers' compensation, but was awarded $37 in unemployment benefits. Thus, he netted out to $4 per week in unemployment. So he still got his $37 per week, but it was divided between his $34 in workers' comp plus his $4 in unemployment benefits. However, the provision of the Employment Security Act isn't written as cleanly as it was implemented. 
the act reads in part, and I quote, other than death benefits or scheduled benefits for a specific loss under the Workers' Compensation Act. The individual's weekly benefits otherwise payable under this act for such week shall be reduced to the amount by which the individual's workman's compensation weekly benefit for such week was less than his benefit otherwise payable under this act for such week, unquote. And let's be honest, it's also a terribly written statute. The court reiterated its philosophy regarding the 1908 Article 2, Section 1 provision of the Michigan Constitution securing the same protection as does the 14th Amendment, but went on to say that the same provisions in the 1963 Constitution, as found in our Article 1, Section 2, must likewise be held to afford the same rights as the federal equal protection. This was the first case under the 1963 Constitution to connect the protections of the new Michigan Constitution to the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution. While that is the main reason I wanted to highlight this particular Michigan Supreme Court case, I figured you might want to know the rest of the story. The Michigan Supreme Court went on to talk about the validating of creating classifications between groups, but they emphasized those classifications are predicated upon the constitutional guarantees of equal protection against arbitrary discrimination. They point out that when balancing the legislative discretion to create classifications against what is arbitrary, the court will look to see what the purpose of the act is seeking to accomplish. Legislation which is limited by reasonable and justifiable differentiation to a distinct type of class of persons is not unconstitutional. But the class legislation must be uniform in its operation upon all persons of the class to which it logically applies. If, however, it fails to include and affect equally all persons of the same class, and it extends immunities and privileges to one portion of the class but denies others of the like class by unreasonable or arbitrary reasons, well then it will be considered unconstitutional. The Michigan Supreme Court understood that it was merely the intention of the Michigan legislature to prevent duplication of benefits to the unemployed who receive worker compensation benefits. But the classifications that the legislature created were suspect under the reasons as follows. The statute permitted those not receiving workers' compensation benefits to full unemployment compensation benefits, which makes sense. However, the legislature made delineations between certain recipients of workers' compensation and unemployment. For example, if you were receiving workers' compensation for a specific loss, you could receive unemployment benefits. However, if you are receiving total permanent, partial permanent, or temporary disability payments from workers' compensation, you could not receive unemployment compensation benefits. Additionally, if you received a lump sum payment from the workers' compensation system due to your total permanent, partial permanent, or temporary disability, you could receive unemployment compensation. But if you were receiving workers' comp for those aforementioned disabilities, but received it not as a lump sum, but instead as a weekly distribution, you could not receive unemployment benefits. So the question the Michigan Supreme Court had to answer was whether there is a justifiable, reasonable, and substantial difference between these different participants within the workers' compensation system. 
Starting with the lump sum recipients and working our way backwards, the court first ruled that there was no substantial, rational, or justifiable difference between the classes established by this amendment pertaining to the lump sum payment exception. The injury is the same. The disability is the same. The length of the incapacity is the same. And even the benefits to which the two classes are entitled are the same. Therefore, someone like Mr. Fox who receives the weekly workers' compensation benefits versus an individual who took a lump sum workers' comp settlement prior to receiving unemployment compensation is deprived of the equal protection of the law because he's not treated alike when determining the status of eligibility for unemployment benefits. It actually encourages someone to game the system by taking a lump sum workers' comp settlement merely so they can turn around and accept full unemployment benefits. Next up, the partial permanent disability versus the specific loss provision within the Workers' Compensation Act. Again, the partial permanent disability is treated differently than the specific loss disability. The court believed that a specific loss is a species of the overall partial permanent disability. The only differentiating characteristic between the partial permanent disability and a specific loss is that with a specific loss, it is deemed to continue for a period specific, whereas partial permanent disability continues for the duration of the incapacitation. The court held that it saw no justification to treat some partial permanent disabilities deemed to continue for a period specific as being different from a specific loss, based merely upon how that disability ends up being termed. A specific loss could be partially permanent disability. Subsequently, the Michigan Supreme Court held as invalid the provisions as listed above because they constituted a denial to Mr. Fox and others like him the equal protection of laws under both the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and Article 1, Section 2 of the Michigan Constitution. Now, another case where Article 1, Section 2 of the Michigan Constitution crossed paths with the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution was in a federal district court located in Michigan and was the case of Barry versus School District of City of Benton Harbor. The federal trial court ordered the state of Michigan's Board of Education and Berrien County Intermediate School District to engage in a detailed examination of all the school districts in Berrien County, especially the communities of St. Joseph, Water Valite, River, and Riverside, to determine if discrimination had at any time existed in those school districts and if they had, to determine if all vestiges of that discrimination had been eradicated. The court gave the school districts some guidance on how to conduct their survey by pointing them in the direction of Article 1, Section 2 of the Michigan Constitution. The trial court stated that it was evident Article 1, Section 2 went beyond the limits of the 14th Amendment by prohibiting all racial segregation without regard or whether it was caused by a segregative purpose. The judge went on to state that courts have recognized a state constitution may be more liberally construed than the federal constitution and that this oftentimes has been done, particularly as it relates to individual rights. Remember, Article 1, Section 2 states, quote, No person shall be denied the equal protection of laws, 
nor shall any person be denied the enjoyment of his civil or political rights or be discriminated in the exercise thereof because of religion, race, color, or national origin. The legislature shall implement this section by appropriate legislation, unquote. The judge made sure to accentuate the fact that each provision prohibits discrimination, that the words discriminate, discrimination, and non-discrimination are words that do not appear in the 14th Amendment, but it is clear the drafters of the Michigan Constitution intended our state constitution to have a broader range and reach than the 14th Amendment because those specific words were used to include it. This concludes episode number four of the Michigan Constitution podcast. On the next few podcasts, we're going to explore the multi-tier structure a court must look at regarding the protections conferred upon citizens of Michigan. Now that we've established how our Article 1, Section 2 is more encompassing than the 14th Amendment, we'll dig deeper into how that plays out for the people of Michigan. Remember, not all classes of people are created equal, and the court must delineate between those who are discriminated against and it's legal versus those who get discriminated against and it is unconstitutional. If you've got show ideas or comments, please feel free to email me. My email is podcast at TonySnyder.com, or you can find me I'm on Twitter at Tony Snyder. The Michigan Constitution Podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not offer legal advice or create an attorney-client relationship. This podcast is hosted by Tony Snyder. For more information, visit TonySnyder.com, send an email to podcast at TonySnyder.com, or follow Tony on Twitter at Tony Snyder. Catch new episodes on the 1st and 15th of each month. Thanks for listening.